believe it or not, Chris, Law & Order came up at the beginning of this podcast when your Audi was talking Coda with us. You mean in the future when the podcast begins, yes. Or in the future when the podcast begins. James, wow. I can't wait to how you use this. We, we will soon talk about, John and I, this editing this episode is going to be a real mindfuck. Uh, you see, when we started recording, he said, we're going to record the intro at the end after we have the conversation. And, and now... And now I'm regretting that. Uh-huh. So is this an intro, an outro, both? <laughs> this is going to be a both. Very uh, philosophical, like, like the show we watched. I recommend people check it out. Thanks for listening to John's Mostly Movie Podcast. Uh-huh. And wait. Welcome to John's Mostly Movie Podcast. Wow. I feel I'm traveling through time. I feel like my Innie and my Audi just met each other, and that's a reference that you don't get yet because we haven't had a conversation. Oh, no. We're in a time loop. Depending. We, who knows? This might be the end. We don't know where this goes in the podcast. I have no idea where this goes. This could... Here we go. I could be saying hello. Goodbye. At the end of the podcast right now. Or goodbye. So right now, this is both the very end and also the very beginning of the episode. So we're going to say hello and goodbye. Welcome and goodbye to John's Mostly Movie Podcast. It's amazing to be here. And thank you for having me. We're going to talk about or have talked about CODA and severance with chris barlow oh, wow wow i don't know what i did talk about what i will talk about or what i uh, already have feelings about did have i seen coda and i don't know it yet are you prophesizing my future you oh, your audi already recorded coda with us wow I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to have different reactions to the different facts about my Audi. I'm supposed to remain neutral. Please don't deduct. Ten points off. (sighs) So... We're going to be talking about CODA today, and the way CODA went onto my radar was it got nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars, and there's obviously a lot of, as there is every year, but I think it's a little more magnified, it's under a microscope a little more, magnification, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. words this year. That's what you do with a microscope. Yeah, that's, that's how you science. Spider-Man No Way Home, we had talked in the past of whether it should be nominated, whether it would be nominated. It did not get nominated for Best Picture. But it's kind of like the the Oscars are now becoming what people have already made the Golden Globes, which is the Golden Globes, eh, until the Hollywood Foreign Press does a lot better with their membership, diversity, and everything involved in it. People are not going to take the Golden Globes as the award that it once was at some point which was a precursor to the Oscars, which sometimes does feel like the apex of awards. The hard thing is, I think people mistake a award and best picture for that is the ultimate of what's good and what's not. 
what is they hang on to that best in it and the Oscars. Um, and of course, just like everything, people are wondering, well, art is not always black and white of what's better and what's not. And there's opinions in the matter. And then we started wondering, well, who makes those opinions? Okay, what voices are those opinions made up of? What are the type of people and who's the demographic? Well, those all seem very similar. So are we just saying now the Oscars are this one singular voice and that snowballed and here we are. We are wondering, do we care about the Oscars? Do we care not? All that to lead to CODA got nominated, something that I didn't expect. I remember seeing the trailer. I thought the trailer looked like it was going to tug on some heartstrings. It was going to be fun. I thought it was a great, one of the first films that Apple TV Plus had that they were pushing out, them still being kind of, they're a sophomore streaming service. They're still fairly new in the game. So it was something where, good, you're starting to see some rumblings, if you remember way back when, when Netflix was trying to do things to that. And finally, they pushed through with Roma. But here we are with Coda, checked it out, and I sent you a text about it, and you said you watched it too. Um, uh, I actually had not watched it when you texted me, oh. but I watched it uh, this morning slash afternoon. Amazing. When I sent you the text about it, um, had it been on your radar, or um, like when did it show up for you? Um, honestly, I don't think it had somehow. Okay. It had slipped through the cracks that there are so many streaming services and production companies and movies and series that this is one that legitimately slipped through the like the the giant sieve that is my brain as far as media <laughs> goes i i didn't see it so uh, it wasn't until you brought it up and you're like oh i'll i'll i didn't even watch a trailer i just put it on just uh, <clears throat> and was delighted uh on the adventure it took me on i i was surprised at bits and expecting things that happened and also got a little emotional at points oh absolutely uh the way you viewed it is one of my favorite things about going to a film festival that i learned you get an idea of like the title of the movie maybe a little synopsis who's in it but ultimately you have no idea where that film is going to take you I, I recognized the actress that played the mom of the family. Uh, she had a recurring role on the West Wing. So I knew that she was, in fact, a deaf actress. Uh, mm. And as such, uh, while watching it, assumed and then doing some research afterwards, verified that uh, the actors in, in deaf roles in the movie were portrayed by deaf actors. Uh, and also... Apparently, uh, a number of uh, deaf consultants that were involved in the process of adapting the initial script into the actual shooting script and what they actually made uh, as far as down to the edits, making sure uh, that each shot that involved anyone signing anything was clearly visible. And, and uh, there, an article that I read uh, this afternoon uh, bringing up that the director took a few ASL classes so as to be conversant in it. Uh, I hesitate to say learned ASL in the way that, like, sure, I I can get around you know, a little Spanish. Uh, my, my partner can do a bit of French, but, like, 
to say you know a language not necessarily like fluent in no English exactly uh, but she said it was it was important if she was going to be directing uh, people that this is the way they communicate she wanted to be able to communicate with them effectively and then be able to sign something back to her and her be able to understand rather than having to rely on an interpreter I really as just like you when I dug into like the behind the scenes I appreciated the authenticity of it all they really wanted to be aware and really wanted to tell this story truly though you know from both points of view in an authentic way because it is a, the point of view of both communities both the deaf community with the family and then Ruby played by Amelia Jones and kind of seeing both sides and the I was looking into um, I was watching an interview with the director just talking about how the character of Ruby doesn't necessarily fit feel like she fits into both worlds and we get to be a part of that we get to see the world she's in when she's with her family and the deaf community and then also the world she's in when she's at school in the hearing community and how she's still also trying to fit in within there. Um, and that was, for me, what was the most interesting part because it was, for me, as someone who does not know, and there were so many things that, uh, like, you know, that they portrayed that I was just, you know, um, it was amazing to see how it is to live in the deaf community or uh, with any deaf relatives I, being able to follow the character of Ruby, so like it was great. And as her character arc grew, and she learned and everything, like she was also she was our navigator through the movie, but also kind of who we ourselves could place ourselves in the shoes to like be within the world. Um, but yeah, it's I think all of that was because they were so conscious of being authentic to the story that they were going to tell. Um, and it's, it makes sense that it's nominated for Best Picture. Um, it, well, you, like you said, James, you went into it kind of blind, you know, just nothing of a trailer, anything to it. Um, what were your, like, biggest takeaways immediately from it? What things stuck with you? Riding the fence between two worlds, uh, obviously, for the, the struggle within Ruby, especially considering her love for music, uh, I, I felt it was an interesting, like, sort of twist on the the setup of she is the only person in her family that can hear and can interact with the world the way the rest of us uh, hearing people can. Uh, I don't know if that's a term, but we'll work with it. Um, but like on top of that, the passion that she has is something that her family literally doesn't have the, the vocabulary to wrap their heads around. They, they cannot understand music. Her mom, mm -hmm. uh, it, it doesn't make sense to her why someone would want to sing. Uh, and the, the moment I, I mentioned earlier, uh, I, I at one point cried, uh, found this, this moment towards the end of the movie as her dad is uh, asking her to sing the, the song that she had sung. 
That got me. Uh, sitting on the, the uh, back of their pickup truck, and he puts their, his hands on her neck to feel uh. the vibration in her throat. And I had this moment, uh, mind you, a uh, thing I've talked about on the pod before, I think. Uh, I, I smoke marijuana medicinally uh, for pain relief, and as such, yeah. I smoke a, a great deal, but was smoking while watching this and had like a galaxy brain moment of oh this is this is a story about this girl but also this is a story about being a teenager with a family that you cannot communicate with or you can communicate with but you cannot get them to understand what your deal is because whatever thing you how we all feel as a teenager at one point as a high school kid like you you for whatever reason at least i feel like a lot of us uh had something that was difficult to communicate to our parents and the idea of in this situation where literally her, her mom uh repeatedly throughout the movie just shoots down bad mouths the idea of why this is this is a waste of time what are you doing music is is, is garbage uh to her dad just really leaning out trying so hard to to feel the vibrations coming out of her to make the music uh is this this beautiful little like we all have uh, or or can have this sort of boundary issue with our parents trying to communicate something and depending on on how that works out uh we can we can bridge a gap i think you hit the nail on the head with the scene with her father in the pickup truck and him reaching that out that was easily the tearjerker for me because of how genuine and sweet i liked I don't know if you caught this. There was a moment with the montage shortly after that, leading up to her getting ready for the audition, where we see the mom, and it shows like their business is growing, but the mom and the other wives all selling at like a farmer's market, but they're starting to sign the other wives and communication. And it's kind of very similar to how she was telling, Ruby was telling her mother that you should give them a chance. Like, you, like, Yes, you feel that they're judging you, but you're doing the same to them. Like, you're not, you know, it's a two-way street. Um, and then to see that, it's, it was, I loved that we got that little um, loose end kind of tied up to show, like, this business, not only is the business growing, but so is their own relationships within the business and they themselves. They're coming all out of their comfort zone and integrating into life um and seeing that kind of like teaching the lesson of you know what we can make the world that we want like you know in the terms of them you know with boats they're the captain of their own ship yeah literally uh we can put together a co-op and sell our own fish we we don't have to continue living in this horribly frustrating way that we have been. I'll make my own fish go up. 
the the scene of her translating for her father in front of the uh, the like auction board with the regulators was terrific. Uh, you can you can suck my dick. Is he he said that? That's what he said. I, um, in one of the interviews behind the scenes, they were interviewing the father, and uh, he said when he read the script, when he saw that they were using dirty words in sign language, he's like, absolutely, like I'm on. Because it's true. It isn't something that is showed, portrayed, story that's necessarily told. Um, And, I mean, this is the obvious. Like, the deaf people are just people who are unable to hear. There's no other, all the other things of range of emotions, humans, all that. It's all there to it. So it, it is nice to see a story told it's not a deaf story. It's not not at all. Like, it has those aspects to it. It is called CODA, but that just gives us CODA, if you don't know, is children of deaf adults. And that's just our protagonist, Ruby. But like you mentioned, Idge, we get to learn of how a teenager who has difficulty communicating with her family in the way of her family understanding her desire and her love that's universal across so many different cultures and ethnicities, and that's just human. So it's beautiful that that's what the story is that's told into here, into so many levels. I um, I really enjoyed it. It's there's movies where, you know, I think drama movies or Oscar movies sometimes. You know, you gotta put yourself in the right mindset because yeah, it's gonna invoke emotions, but sometimes that can be very heavy. Um, and this one felt very easy to watch, but yet still provoked strong emotions. I think it helps that the, a lot of the, uh, really dramatic, heavy lifting scenes, so much of it was ASL and ASL is such an expressive way of communicating and especially like the the actor that played the dad uh, was so uh, over uh, over the top in some of his gesticulations in speaking. That very animated. I, I in the interview that uh, I was reading earlier this afternoon brought up like even people that don't know how to sign and are in situations where they're around him or watching him tell a story through sign will end up like laughing long because even if you don't know what he's saying, like he's, he's an entertainer just in the way that he is talking. And, and even if you don't necessarily follow the context, you probably get it from the hand gestures and, and the way that he is performing his sign language. Yeah. It, he, was nominated for an Oscar as well for Best Supporting Actor. So, well-deserved. Terrific. Um, I'm going to look up the actor's name, but we haven't touched on Leo, the brother, mm. who is played by Daniel Daniel Durant. And when we were watching this, Becky was like, he 
looks so familiar. And he was a part of the Spring Awakening revival from Deaf West Theater that was on Broadway. Um, I want to say that was in probably 2014 or 15 in that range. 15. 2015. Um, and he was fantastic uh, just from his comedic timing and also his own journey and everything to it uh, my favorite is when she asks you know are you hiding and he's his response is not very well <laughs> he from the get-go we can see how he's felt like an outsider and in the way it is and um I love everything to like him to him eventually like the interaction with her friend the relationship he gets into it with her is great but just the very beginning where is she okay she just told me that she has herpes <laughs> because that's what she saw that's what she told her because she wanted to know how to say I think you're hot to him and of course Ruby did not teach her how to say that correctly um yeah, uh, Daniel Durant was magnificent. We've, I think we've all can relate to feeling like that outsider or feeling like capable of doing something. And it's not that people are maliciously not giving you the chance, but you're just kind of getting unintentionally passed by. So you have that frustration and everything. And we see it with his character until finally, you know, it, it's not like a full of anger or anything it's more of a him trying to wake them up to see like hey this is who I am you, you might not have known and it's okay that you weren't seeing it but now you see now like this is what I've grown to do and X Y and Z are the facts as to why and it's you know it's great to see that And his interactions and the names that him and Ruby call each other are fantastic. Um, also, the, uh, the sign language that goes along with uh, each of those insults that they have is terrific. It's oh, it's it, it feels like storytelling in itself too, in now that I way, know like that little mini. This is ass monkey. <laughs> Given it our rating, for mm. me. This is a five, to five tofu movie. Five tofus for me. I'd say probably a four and a half. Could do with less singing. <laughs> Nick isn't on this pod, so. No, but uh, you, I would say that's easily, yeah. It was a good representation. Again, he having not watched the trailer for this movie. I I was in it like oh okay it's a, a story about a family trying to make a business work and and the, they aren't fitting in it's it's there are bits and pieces that are reminding me of uh, Minari uh, and then yeah and then there's also this other subplot that is a a little kind of High School Musical. Uh, girl has a crush that she like is excitedly like oh yes I know him and he's like oh have you seen uh, Sing Street 
on a side note? Because I like, haven't. Oh, okay. I hadn't either, but that the her crush, he's the mm. lead of Sing Street. I didn't. Mm. Interesting. I love that you call it High School Musical. I'm an old person, okay? Can't unsee now. Or is it Glee because it's the choir? It was a little Glee. I, I meant to, or I meant to, I was about to text you at one point while watching. I, uh, through homeschooling, I didn't go to high school. So a lot of what I know about high school is from movies. And I can only assume that every high school had a music teacher that took this shit way seriously, <laughs> way more seriously than anybody else. Like, or an art teacher that, like, they are there to find the next fucking Picasso? God damn it, stop fucking around. You need to learn your, your, your color theory. We did not mention, and I'll just, like, throw a quick mention out there, the teacher, uh, mm, Eugenio mm. Debris. If you cannot roll your R's, do not come at me with this Mr. Booty. He was great. Um, It wasn't like, (laughs) it it really was a, (laughs) I feel like he, he didn't pull, like pull any punches. He just, there was times where he was very over the top, but it was, it made sense for the character and the passion that came out of it. I don't know. I just loved that very suddenly, like there was a, a scene of whiplash in the middle of this movie about, uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was about deaf Fisher people, but instead it's, it's sing better. If whiplash was on Broadway, he would have been the understudy. He would have done the matinees. There you go. Uh, Chris should be uh, joining us shortly. We're going to be talking uh, another Apple TV Plus streaming content. Uh, But on the TV end, Severance from executive producer Ben Stiller. And director. And director, uh, too. That was a nice thing to see or, like, discover when it opened. I'm I'm curious if he's going to end up directing the rest of them. Yeah, me too. I would hope so, but we'll see. Yeah, it's typically they either go the first two to set the tone and dip out. Uh, a, a filmmaker directing the first episode or two and setting a tone, which we don't know yet if uh, Ben Stiller is doing that for this or if he's going to direct all of them. I bet if we took a look, maybe that's been already put out Probably. there, but I don't know. Uh Point being, another filmmaker that uh, has done a similar thing with a television so- show recently is uh, Ridley Scott with Raised by Wolves. I want to know how, how, wait, how many, I just want to know, because that was definitely one that was like on my radar, and I forgot that it was Ridley Scott. The, so he... I want to say was some sort of uh, creative consultant on the show in addition to directed the first episode, but it is a, a future, uh, maybe 200 years in the future. 
where humanity has been divided into a, a sort of planet-wide religion following a sun god called Sol. And they have high technology and uh, advanced AI and robots. And then a group of atheists that they are at war with. And eventually this war, which lasts for decades, destroys the Earth. And the show picks up with a spaceship containing two androids and I believe six or seven uh, babies or fetuses uh, to repopulate a new planet. Uh, and after they set up camp and, and begin a life on this new world, Kepler-22b, uh, they find that they have been followed by an ark, a giant spaceship from the, uh, the Mithraic, the, the Sun cult, has sent their own ship. And so these two factions are still at war on this new, or still at tension, still, they're, they both have arrived at this new planet. We assume that Earth is just dead, everybody there is gone, because... Right their wars have just ravaged it and this was we saw a scene of the shuttle taking off and it being a very like oh we're on we're in line we got to get on this ship and go uh so presumably this is all that is left of humanity and the ark that came had fewer than two thousand people on it so it is still a very like we're, we're kind of starting over from scratch and tension is high Th things are like if if someone slips and falls and breaks a leg or, or cracks their skull open, like that is a terrible detriment to the like percentage of humans that are left alive. So uh, whenever the planet has increasing hazards that make themselves apparent over the course of the series, uh, it's, it's more and more concerning because like this isn't just the story of this band of colonists. This is, so far as we know, all that there is uh is it half hour or full hour episode uh closer to the full hour uh, okay i believe the most recent episode which is in my queue to watch is 43 minutes oh okay um i saw that it was renewed for a second season so i believe it will be having a season two it's uh ongoing right now oh so it's okay are you fully caught up and into, or are you like you've been through? I'm one episode behind. I, I haven't Ooh. watched last week's episode yet. Nice. Yeah, I will say, nice stream and text. Season over season, uh, I appreciate that it does do the thing that I appreciate when a show does of sort of upending the status quo and changing changing the power dynamics between groups and, and individual people uh, season over season. So excited to see where this goes. That's Raised by Wolves, HBO Max original, mm -hmm. tone set by Ridley Scott. Also, like uh, the, the androids, there are some that like roughly look like C-3PO and then some... <laughs> 
that look like people, but when you cut them open, like they're full of milk, like the androids in the alien movies or Prometheus. That's... they, they are that kind of alien. It's kind of uh, odd that Ridley wanted to yeah, just use like, that universally. This is make it a, a director very trait. different universe. This isn't the alien universe, but they have the same technology. Yeah, would have thought that that wasn't a director trait. I would have thought that's just, oh, look, look at consistency. Good, good job. And now I'm seeing, what's your thing with um, white liquid inside of us, man? It's a little weird. Hello. My name is Mark S. And I have, of my own free accord, elected to undergo the procedure known as severance. Chris, are you having a good work-life balance? Work-life balance? I don't know what that means. That sounds fictitious. That sounds like the subject matter of a hilarious comedy set in a uh, happy-go-lucky universe. What if I told you was the setting of a dark comedy? I, I don't even know if this show is a comedy. How about I don't dystopian, know I mean, dystopian psychological thriller? Yeah. With jokes? I mean, there are moments where we were, like, laughing when Adam Scott takes the intercom straight to the face. Adam Scott? Yeah. Adam McKay? Is that Adam Scott? Scott. Adam Scott. Adam Scott. Adam McKay is the director. Adam McKay directed Don't Look Up. Um, we're going to be talking today about sev- well wait I already introduced it beforehand never mind I don't need to introduce <laughs> it again you can do it again it's fun <sighs> what are we talking now about? it's just going to be so inauthentic ugh fine hey, hey uh, John oh, what, uh, what is Chris here to talk to us about uh, you're just being or nice talk with us about you're just being nice now fine today we're going to be talking about <laughs> today we're going to be talking about severance from executive producer and director of it ben stiller streaming on apple tv plus joining us well it's who else this segment's called tv with chris it's chris barlow from streamageddon hello it i i love to talk about tv it is true this is true um this uh, let's just dive in because like, that's uh-huh. literally Do you have how feelings about whole... this show? I feel like you have feelings. So far, I think it's brilliant, but I also just want to know more. And it's very... Um... I'm trying to figure out what points it's saying, because it's saying a lot. It's not just the, oh, look at work-life balance, what is that? Like, there's Once we get into the idea of what severance is... It is a little bit like, holy shit. Things start making sense. It makes sense why a waffle party would feel amazing because you would not get to experience that at all. Because you're living in Plato's cave. Or yeah. sensation of that. Oh, yeah, it's horrifying. Genuinely it's horrifying. horrifying. Um, the numbers are I'm scary. really glad. I'm really glad it's only weekly. Even two for the premiere, like, that was the right amount. But I, I was like, oh, I really could use a week off because this is dark and I need to watch something very light uh, before Becky I fall asleep. Becky was ready to, like, if this was a series, I think Becky would have binged it. Like, hold on. Oh, it, it is addictive enough that I would. But I, I, I need some balance in my brain. 
I need the dreams not to all be filled with black ooze coming out over the cubicle walls, you know? Well, because when we, when Becky and I watched the first episode, after the first episode, she was all in. Would you have binged this entire series in one day if it was available? Or was it too dark for you? What show are you talking about? Severance. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hey. Okay, well, I just want to make sure I know what you're talking about. Um, would I have binged the entire thing in one sitting? How many episodes is it going to be? Six. Probably not. But I easily would have done it in two. Mm-hmm. There needs to be some break in there. I love that I can't hear their reactions. I can just see their little faces cracking up at how funny I am. Okay. okay. <laughs> Bye. I think I think she makes my point. You need a little you need a little breathing space in this show, both because there's a mystery to tease out, and I do want to have some time to like ruminate on the mystery, but also because yes. man, his life sucks. His life does suck, and it's uh, I mean they say it, but like the, it's a very accurate portrayal of like um, an alcoholic in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like uh, someone using alcohol as their coping mes- mechanism, like yeah, it, it's a little uneasy because he it's he is a full functioning alcoholic. Yeah, and when, and the most interesting thing is that his innie his his life at at work has no idea, has no idea, has not even the same persona or nothing. Like his his Audi, which is funny. <laughs> That that's the name, Innie and Audi. Um, we're not talking about belly buttons here, um, but that his Audi is just so has so much, like I don't even know what to call it. Baggage, pain, baggage. Yeah, it, it needs a therapist. Yeah, well, yeah, and I, I think uh, it's pretty clear from the first two episodes that his Audi is self-aware enough to know that uh, this isn't a healthy way to live, that he's probably made a mistake. You can see him in in the scene in the second episode where he lashes out at the the people who are like, do you have a moment for children's brains? Which is great. Uh, You can see, like, okay, he doth protest a little too much. Like, he clearly has some sense of... Uh, either regret or remorse about severing himself. He's clearly aware that he's just trying to feel as little as possible. And so one way to feel as little as possible is to drink yourself into a stupor. And the other way is to have your brain surgically altered so that eight hours a day are completely out of your, you know, your memory or just blank. Yeah. Your brain can actually, in a sense, repair the body. And then he because gets to not so much stress on it. He gets to be happy when he's there. He doesn't know, but he knows. You know, he's like, when I forget everything is when I'm happiest. So I know I'm happy there. Well, least unhappy. Um. The, I want to touch really quick on the cinematography because the drastic lighting choices in this is gorgeous in every aspect. The way they use shadows and. Yeah, this show is really beautiful to watch. It has both great color palettes, both the Innie color palette and the Audi color palette 
are different, and clearly and so. that's gorgeous. Yep, really obvious when you're in one place or the other, and and how they feel different. And then the the Innie world has this just really wonderful production design that is reminiscent of Loki a little bit. It really reminds me of this extremely specific uh, show uh, counterpart that was on Stars, I think. Yes, that was yes. A Producer great James show. gets I love it. it. Yeah, I, I am a huge fan. Counterpart is phenomenal and has that same. Uh, vibe of a mysterious bureaucracy with retro tech where you do meaningless number crunching or or a task that seems sisyphusian and pointless and yet it is somehow extremely important in a mysterious way you do not know that's so specific and so similar between the two and yet it doesn't feel like a ripoff of that or something it feels like that's a great device that is underutilized unanswered questions or questions I have that I hope are answered through the series. Where are they? I know that the wherever they are is kind of corporate housing in a sense, and that town is definitely um, run for the most part by the Lumen Corporation, or at least puts enough money into the town. I'm just very interested to see if, like, I understand that it's isolated at the actual corporation, but I want to know if that isolation unknowingly, like the Audis don't know, that maybe a part of them has been severed even more, like where this goes. Because um, well, the the fact that their, I guess, boss or grand boss, uh, Patricia Arquette, is his next door neighbor. And I assume she isn't severed. I don't think she she is. Sure seems like she's not severed. Sure seems like she's watching everybody. Right. Right. And Milchik sure doesn't seem severed. I I mean, if he's not, she's not. Milchik does not seem severed. No, yeah. Uh, A very good, like, on-face performance that he is doing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, no, I, I am just fascinated with the additional layer of on top of the fact that in this office they are also kind of behind glass being observed for scientific purposes by by people mm-hmm. who are documenting the work that they are doing for scientific reasons because they're also kind of in an experiment but then their home lives on the outside are being monitored or influenced perhaps by the corporation as well uh, at very sort of a fun uh, play on a company talking up work-life balance and no you 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 do you have you time take time to do your thing but also we we need to have certain apps on your phone that follow you and keep track of some things and also maybe we have access to stuff that you don't know that you have access to because you didn't read your employment contract sorts of things mm-hmm. just spitballing I really resonated and loved and felt like this is some of the most accurate shit the call out when he has to when he oh, yeah. calls out of work oh, and yeah. he's not really sick uh, we've all been there and first of all that was very um, accurate the <laughs> what's his name again uh, Miss Chip Milk, milk, milchick, 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 hearing, oh, you know, 
I'm so sorry. Well, your innie's gonna gonna be really sad to miss a day. Uh, to them cutting to like, he said it was abdominal. Feels yeah. very uh, like we all yeah. feel like that's how management Seems is. Very convenient. <laughs> like whenever we all call out, we all think in our mind that management's talking about. Hmm, what do we think? Mm-hmm. Picking uh, apart your story. Picking apart your story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was really fun, but um, it's there. There are still those underlining comedies to it, and it's it's a little uns- what I really un- unsettling how. <laughs> Yeah, what what like I really said, like about the comedy is that any funny moment is followed up by something deeply unsettling. They do not let you just laugh and have a good time. You laugh at something, and then they follow it up with an, you know another beat that just makes you realize how upsetting or creepy it all is, or how deeply depressing his life is. There, there's no purely haha moment. I think of or in just the, the, sometimes they make you realize how. Like it, like you said, it's dystopian. But how times it is a little t- kind of like real super life. Real. Like, uh, super real, super uh, real. In the second episode, John Turturro's character gets sent to wellness because he he maybe fell asleep at his desk. He saw this creepy tar coming over the desk. Very freaky scene. And then they send him to wellness, where they start reading him basically compliments. It reminded me of in the last season of Succession at the birthday party, they go through the forest of compliments where people are, are in the shrubbery and just say nice things to you. Like, you have good hair. You are a genuine laugher. And so it, it, John Turturro goes in for this wellness session and she says, I'm reading you facts about your Audi to make you feel good. Uh, please treat them all equally. And he laughs, he laughs at like the third or fourth one. And she goes, you're not allowed to show preference for any of the facts. I'm deducting 10 points. You have 90 points remaining. And he's like, I don't know. What are the points? This is the first he's heard of the points. And that moment is so funny and also so terrifying because what happens when you run out of points? That gives me anxiety. And this is supposed to be like their own form of therapy, calmness. And you're throwing some like, Terrifying. Unknown stakes on the table, which also feels. Say, you... oh, go Please. No, I was gonna say uh, it's it's like phrased as for wellness and some sort of like almost therapeutic thing, but the the person that he is in the room that is delivering this list of uh, facts about his Audi is a gorgeous woman in a skin-tight dress who is saying everything in the most sultry delivery that she can for every bullet point and lingers on your Audi is is very talented at intercourse uh, w- women is are women like uh, the way that he kisses like in a in a creepy way like he's for this Realizing going into the show that, like, it was a show of, like, each actor playing multiple characters, like, for the Innies, they have, like, this almost, I don't know, super contained uh, life such that any sort of titillation, yeah. this is a reward that is is so wonderful. And again, the the 
rewards that they get being like erasers, but we don't have pencils, so they don't do anything. And the the finger, finger trap. That... Yeah, I was gonna say the, Dylan. That character speaks Zach to that Cherry, volumes. Man. Number one, Zach Cherry is a national treasure. Number two, the, his obsession with like at seventy five points, you get the finger traps. But what everyone wants is the waffle party, and he has every detail about every single one of these things and that is his entire personality which is what happens to you in this situation he is so thrilled at the prospect that maybe the data work they're doing is for a post-apocalyptic universe in which we are bombing the sea so we can live underwater he has invented this extremely fantastical idea of what the outer world must be like in order to add some titillation to his monotonous existence just pause what are they doing oh well i i just assume it's like counterpart where i will never understand and it doesn't matter in case, like there, there is something to this device. Much loss vibes with those numbers. Yeah, where it's like they're they're pressing the button to press the button. The you know, if you had to ask me what my theory is of the show, two episodes in, is they are subjects in some kind of experiment, and the work they're doing is meaningless, but is meant to trigger something. Uh, you know, the fear of the numbers. The whole first two episodes are about Heli, the new recruit, learning what the swirling numbers on the screen mean. The numbers are scary. They, they literally say, you look for the numbers that make you scared, and then you bin them off. And and there is something to that where I'm like, I don't know if it means anything. It, what, what it means is what it's doing to them. What is the black goo? What is the ooh, the oh, dozing? So creepy. I, I am worried. Is Christopher Walken severed? I, I, am I think that was a plan. Hmm. I think that Christopher Walken is there to manipulate uh, John Turturro. I am curious how long Petey had been employed. As we know, John Turturro has been there three years. and uh, It's funny that he says three years and he says back in the old days. Like he's been yeah, there 28 which, odd years. Honestly, that's very I, relatable to me too. Yeah, I assume there's probably high turnover because... They're fucking around in people's brains. Okay, but my question there is Petey in the second episode. Petey is the old co-worker who was fired and let go suddenly and then finds Adam Scott's Audi. He's the old boss, yeah. Um, and, and Petey says he's the first person to have reintegration sickness because his two severed selves have reintegrated upon being terminated. Um, but they mention other people have left the company before. And so if he's the first person with reintegration sickness... Yeah, like Carol D. Yeah, what happened to Carol D? I, I wonder if maybe he went and got himself unsevered before leaving the company. That's an interesting and theory. They caught wind of it, and that's why he just disappeared. Uh, as they mentioned, like, people have left like had other opportunities and when they leave those memories stay classified because they stay they severed alive when they're in the exactly um but like this being a situation where no he just disappeared um mm, yeah I, I, no. okay okay i see that 
and that having, could explain having worked for a company in the past where uh let's say schedules being what they are sometimes you don't see someone for a, a week or two uh and then oh you don't know you they could just be gone that you haven't seen them for a month or two and you ask someone and oh yeah he he uh doesn't work here anymore mm-hmm. um, or you're like me who has adhd and sometimes forgets to take its medicine and then it's like oh yeah wait oh yeah wait how long has it been and it's like three months yeah. Um, the dinner scene the dinner with no food scene mm-hmm. uh, once again fantastic just lighting setting everything up um, but like, in every scene in the Audi world he seems to be in a desolate place like it's not that there's nobody else around but like the restaurant he eats at feels devoid of life walking around the street it feels devoid of life except for like the two people he approaches and harasses there it doesn't feel like there is a vibrant thriving community around him it doesn't feel like he's in a a place full of other people it really feels creepy and kind of empty every place he goes It's interesting also because when we first see him enter the building, the parking lot's full. When we see him leave, the parking lot's empty. Yeah. But they leave at 5 o'clock. So staggered out, maybe 5.15 the latest. So they don't run into each other in the outside world. We don't know why, but they did. So we've already seen, like, whoa, what does that mean? And how is the parking lot empty that quick at 5? Is it like they're 8 to 5 and everyone's 7 to 4? I, or how long have they really been there? I I, I have questions because we only other we only ever hear them talk about their their work hours in the innie world. We don't hear him talk about that like what time he leaves in the Audi world. Yeah, it's also like I'll see you tonight, later tonight, and it's, it's five o'clock. I don't think that's the evening, but also why the switch of watches. I liked that detail. I mean, I like it. I thought is it. I, I don't. I don't entirely know. Well, I just wonder. Well, obviously, yes. Like you could never bring a smart watch down there. They make a point of showing him put his cell phone away. But part of me wonders if it's about not having any objects uh, that remind you of your Audi self. So you can't have your father's Rolex when you're down there. You have to have a generic wristwatch that looks bland and only is associated with your any self. Also, like, I don't know what sort of timer or alarm functionality the watch that he had had, but being something that could possibly convey some sort of information Message. between the two. Yeah. yeah. Um, that could get through the how, code like, scan. Exactly. That's I imagine why they have, like, no, this is... You, you need to leave anything that could possibly serve as... A, yeah of message behind and if you need a watch we'll give you a watch it's in your locker you know there was a moment that stuck to me where he's he was exiting after he got his promotion so in the first episode he gets promoted to pd's old job uh and as he's exiting yeah man (laughs) a handshake is available upon request 
Thank you. May I have a handshake? Uh, he clearly, when he left that day, and he's switching his stuff back out uh, to his old watch and his outside stuff, he notices that his badge is different. Yes, he does. But in the subsequent episode, at no point does he his Audi self say he's been promoted. So as far as I can tell, his Audi self doesn't know that he got promoted, but did observe, hey, my badge is a little different today. What happened? And I think that also sparks the curiosity of like PD and getting to the bottom of, of what they've done to themselves. Is is he getting paid more? That's what I wonder. Because, like, the fact that when uh, Healy tried to leave, he was at the staircase uh, there to help redirect her back in because, oh, we're just testing and making sure that uh, you're okay to go in and out. Uh, the elevator can be shocking, so we just, let's just get you right back in there. Uh, like, this sure seems an awful lot like these people are maybe not able to stop working there of their own free will. Again, I re- reiterate, what happened to Carol D? D- they yeah, say Carol D, D left, left, and they saw a I video assume... from her Audi thanking her, them. I, I, I want to understand, if somebody has left, do they all actually remember that? Did that really happen? Or is this some kind of you know, programming in their any brains hmm. to make them think people can leave? I have a question. See, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Because yours is no, mine's a say, change of subject. I assume if the Audi decides that they want to leave this situation, then I guess there is perhaps more uh, legal recourse. They have for leverage. Someone being involved in, like, hey, you can't actually make these people work for you. Uh, whereas the Emmy, like, to some degree, given that that is the result of an implant that was created by this company, to a degree, the people that are severed, that are working on that floor, are just corporate property. The, the personalities that they develop there are the results of the, the hardware in their brain. So they, they are owned kind of mold their personality. Yeah, it, they Precisely. The the fact that we know that uh, Adam Scott is being observed on the outside, like, who knows what sort of tinkering that they are doing uh, with, with the people in this program. But Speaking of the outside, have we seen people eat on the outside at all? Have we seen food? Because yeah, the cookies. Any... The cookies. And uh, okay. his sister made him a sandwich. Oh, yeah, and they really enjoyed that sandwich. There is something really interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't the, the eat food, that sandwich, but it looked very good. The food they choose to show is very specific and is in these very odd scenes. Him with his sister devouring that sandwich. Uh, and then the cookie scene with Patricia Arquette, who is his seemingly, you know, uh, borderline Alzheimer's neighbor, who we all know is somehow creepy and watching him but she shows up with those like chamomile cookies and and that is the only other food otherwise all we see is beer basically like his fridge seems to have milk and beer in it as far as i can tell okay okay well then 
Well, there goes that theory. What was your theory? Your and theory was these are these are plant people well, who they they, no, they photosynthesize. I mean, they're all robots. More yeah, so they, that, they, like, <laughs> is food so scarce, and does this corporation have access to like food more mm, so than mm. just like the outside normal world? I don't want I'm, such a literal explanation of this dystopia. This I want this dystopia I, I, to have more of a vibe. You know, <laughs> just vibes. Just vibes. You ever seen the movie Brazil? This is I, I I want Brazil vibes. Why is it like this? Ah, it doesn't matter. Yo, no exposition, I, just vibes. I did love the the moment in their little kitchenette when one of them opened the fridge and there were bagged lunches for each of them that had been that was like very folded creepy. over, stapled, and labeled with like different colored cards for Look each like employee. Look like when I order Whole Foods. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was just like here is your whatever uh, giant meal that fits in this paper bag. There are four of them in here. Uh, each get one. Uh, just a, a an odd like. This is someone had to put this together. <laughs> There's somebody, an intern in the background, uh, making this. Yeah. What's the severed support staff look like? <laughs> what does HR look like? There was a, a genuine moment that I loved in um, the beginning of the second episode when Adam Scott is starting his first day as the department head, and he gets in and has this checklist of extremely menial stuff to do. It was like, uh, sweep the floor, refill the soap dispenser, clean and fill the coffee maker, dust. And you watched him do all that for a minute, and it, it that, that was both interesting in that it was once again creepy and terrifying but also i i thought like a really real example of like getting promoted sometimes sucks like you get the promotion to the thankless role above you that does not make a lot more but does have to do the bathrooms that's spot on also it makes sense because there would not be severed janitors or custodians well, again it makes me wonder about their support staff who's refilling that weird vending machine that comes with a jar of tokens next to it you really can mold these workers to the personality that you want by withholding because all our personalities from like are dictated by interactions and experiences like that's how it molds so if you withheld or like put more of into it it's kind of interesting like how different are the personalities of these people on the outside? Because we do see with, um, oh, what's her name? Helly. Helly, how her Audi now, mm -hmm. but how she is prior to there being an innie and an Audi. Well, her. and we get to see her innie's evolution into an innie. Because her innie is much more like her Audi at the beginning. And by the end of the second episode, when she sees the scary numbers, her you can see her innie becoming an and any instead of yeah. the same person Helly was on the outside. And then they kind of double that imagery or reinforce that point with the scene of Petey, who's now staying with Adam Scott uh, on his, in, like in a couch in his spare room. And Petey sees himself when he's showering, he sees his duality. And so you can, there are two people going in the opposite direction. We're watching Helly split into two as we're watching Petey be remerged into one and the conflict that that creates in him. Uh, 
you know, I don't know how long they'll drag that imagery out, but it is such a great example of like how precise they're being. It is. Everything's a scale, work-life balance. Everything is a this or that type of thing. I'm interested. I'm ready. I want more. Okay, here's my question. So in PD in the shower, which one was the innie PD? Which one was the outie PD? There's innie <laughs> PD. PD in the shower, like collapsing. PD at the sink, nose bleeding. Which one's innie PD? Which one's outie PD? Because one is one and one is the other. I think Audi PD is um, the one collapsing in the shower. See, I think Audi PD is nosebleed. Oh, no, you know, you, you just convinced me. All you, you know what? Your argument was so rock solid. Your confidence was so clear. I was going to say Audi PD is at the sink, but I'm like, no. Audi PD is the one who's naked and alone. And any PD has got his suit on, trying to keep it together, wiping the blood off his nose as he like melts down basically as his brain uh, melts just a heads up unfortunately i have to leave in 10 minutes but because we'll your building is on all... fire from the the background sound yes yeah thank you see i read that scene in a way where like his brain has become in some way as though unstuck from time and his perception of reality is shifting where like he went into that bathroom presumably to clean up because he's been living in a greenhouse on the street for however long. So he's going to go take a shower. And while he's looking at himself in the mirror, washing his face, what have you looks around, looks over and sees himself a couple minutes from now in the shower and has an episode where that, his his memory and perception of things is is being juxtaposed rather than the actual two selves of himself looking at themselves hmm hmm yes i could see Does that he die at the end of that because when we were watching it our, my roommate Steve no but like, he's he gonna died. die and I'm he like, didn't no, die i think he's just like mind he's gonna now. he's gonna die yeah that seems probably. likely Mm-hmm. They have Who's to really king? have high stakes for like reintegration will kill you. Yeah, because they do say it's irreversible. But what happened to Carol D? Again, I'd love some more detail there. Any of the little stuff that fleshes out the the reality of the world without being like too on the nose is very interesting. The 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 do you have a moment for children's brains? Uh, fundraiser people that was very deliberate very specific and that's the kind of detail where you're like yeah i don't want to i don't want somebody to walk in and go well they get severed because in you know 2025 there was a law that said but i don't i don't want that what i want just vibes i just want the vibes uh, chris did you ever see the series maniac on netflix yes so I, I hope that we get a bit of like world building in that sense of sprinkled throughout little bits of what this world looks like on the grander scale that makes it different from our world enough that this could happen uh, as opposed to say like a, a Westworld season three where there are just 
conversations about... Hello, I am introducing you to the program that runs all of the things that determine what everyone does, and that is why people act the way they do now. Here it is! Would you... Would you like to hear an oral history of the last 50 years? I've been practicing it as my dissertation. Please have a seat. Welcome to my TED Talk. In the beginning, Rehoven. Can't wait for season, season three, four. Westworld, not just, for you. Just, just gonna put a. I can't wait for season four. I, you know what? See. Can't wait. Can't wait. Is Thandi Newton even in four minutes of it? All they need is like four minutes of Thandi Newton, and I'll be like, yeah, that she was amazing. She filmed a total of eighteen minutes, spread across seven episodes. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. They're gonna give her some kind of samurai sword, and I'll just go, yeah, that made total sense. I was, yep, worth all twelve hours of the new season. I am excited for season four in such a very different way than I was excited for season uh-huh. two. That's uh-huh. Right. Yes. The vibe has changed. To bring it back yeah. to the vibe, the vibe has uh-huh. shifted. And I, you know what? You just embrace that. Chris, tell us a little bit really quick before I, um, before you leave, a.k.a. before I have to kick us all off. I'm so sorry. I double booked, guys. Um, wow. Wow. It's almost like your Audi has something else to do, so you're leaving us behind. Look, I don't know what my Audi does. My Innie is here with you guys, though. My Innie is... Thank you so much. All, always here. You see, when we started recording, he said, we're going to record the intro at the end after we have the conversation. And, and now... Uh-huh. And now I'm regretting that. So is this an intro, an outro, both? <laughs> this is going to be a both. Very uh, philosophical, like like the show we watched. I recommend people check it out. Thanks for listening to John's Mostly Movie Podcast. And also welcome to John's first. And wait. Uh-huh. Welcome to John's Mostly Movie Podcast. Wow. I feel I'm traveling through time. I feel like my Innie and my Audi just met each other, and that's a reference that you don't get yet because we haven't had a conversation. Depending, we who knows? This might be the end. We don't know where this goes in the podcast. I have no idea where this goes. This could, here we go. I could be saying hello. Goodbye. At the end of the podcast right now. Or goodbye. So right now, this is both the very end and also the very beginning of the episode. So we're going to say hello and goodbye. Precisely. Welcome and goodbye to John's Mostly Movie Podcast. It's amazing to be here, and thank you for having me. We're going to talk about, or have talked about, Coda and Severance with Chris Barlow. Wow. Wow. I don't know what I did talk about, what I will talk about, or what I uh, already have feelings about. Have I seen Coda and I don't know it yet? Are you prophesizing my future? You, your Audi already recorded Coda with us. Wow. Chris, I'm going to have to deduct 10 points. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to remain neutral. Please don't deduct. 10 points off. <sighs> 90 points okay. remaining. Um, one, one last thing. The numbers are scary. The numbers are really scary. That was a spooky zero.
It was like Chris. a six when she got scared. Anyway, yeah, I can't wait to have had this conversation or have it now. But either way, uh, it's been thrilling to be here. Um, you told us already, your Audi told us about Stream Again, but we want you, your Innie, to tell us. Yes. Oh, uh, you want to hear it from my Innie? Well, I hear I have a new podcast <laughs> called Stream Again. Stream Again, uh, like Armageddon, but Stream. Stream Again. Uh, streamageddon.com. Search your podcast app for Streamageddon. If you haven't already guessed, it's a podcast about streaming with a focus on TV because this is TV with Chris. And Chris loves to talk about TV. So you can come listen to me talk about TV with my co host Diane. What are you Diane. About this week? Uh, oh, we are so excited. Law and Order, season 21. If you haven't been keeping track, season 20 was over a decade ago. This is Mothership Law and Order, Sam Waterston Law and Order. This season Jack, can drink? We can take this Jack season McCoy, to the bar. Yes, you can finally. They were on the verge of legal uh, drinking, and then they got canceled. Do I need to go watch the first 20, 20 seasons? seasons? This is the beauty. The, to make sense. the beauty of Law and Order is no, no. Uh, it is such a wonderful time to bring back a crime procedural that requires no context. And if they demand context of this, I'm going to be deeply, deeply disappointed. So we, we are watching that when it premieres on Thursday this week and then recording immediately because that is like the thing we have been looking forward to the most. You have no idea how deeply we stand, OG Law and & Order. And, and the stakes are high. Believe it or not, Chris, Law and Order came up at the beginning of this podcast when you're. You mean in the future when the podcast begins? Yes. Or in the future when the podcast begins, James? I can't wait to how you use this. We will soon talk about John and I. This editing this episode is going to be a real mindfuck. Uh, I mean, imagine how your innie feels. Imagine this is this is like uh, on. How I Met Your Mother, uh, there was the joke of like, oh, this is this is a problem for future Marshall. This is mm-hmm. I I sometimes will have a thing that I'm planning on doing. I'm like, yeah, at some point, future James is going to have to figure out how to do that. But future be fine. not present yeah. James. No, future right James. now I don't need it. Um, Producer James, Chris Barlow, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for everything, and we will talk Severance again when the season concludes. I cannot wait. Or I can wait, because it's really creepy. This is fair. All right. But you gotta, you gotta wait, because it's... it's weekly? God! It's weekly. But what is a week? What is time? Will I even know how much time has passed once I go to work tomorrow? We'll, we'll find out. If, if you sign up for this procedure... Sign me up. Sounds great. A lot faster. (laughs) (laughs) Your Audi said the same thing. (laughs) All right, I'm going to end.